I'm Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to season two of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy. Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did. This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study. Hey listeners, we have an ask of you. Between reading and rereading resources, reaching out to content experts, and reviewing our material, this podcast takes time, effort, and resources to share it with you every week. We are humbled and grateful for the listener and affiliate interest over the past several months and the scores of messages received letting us know that this podcast has incrementally improved their test prep has been inspiring. Special thanks to the community for engaging and interacting with the show. We want to keep the podcast focused on content that informs, prepares, and is mindful of your time. One way to accomplish this is direct listener support. We've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. If pushing pediatrics is a part of your day or week and you love what we're doing, please visit the link in any of our episode guides and support us any way you can today. Listener note. This podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics, or send us an email at pushingpediatrics at gmail.com. Welcome back. We have received a lot of questions about outcome measures, so we put together a brief episode. Just kidding, it isn't that brief. We cannot and will not go over each outcome measure. The episode would go on forever, and warning, it's already long. But we can guide you through some of the basics and maybe help you categorize some of the things in your mind. We will also touch on measures mentioned in the fact sheet to make sure we're in line with the common recommended outcome measures. First things first, hop over to your APTA fact sheets and print out the fact sheet titled, list of pediatric assessment tools categorized by ICF model. This is the absolute best resource for you to start from. There are a hundred more outcome measures that are not on this list, but you cannot possibly know them all. So start here, know these, be familiar with these, and you will be in great shape. This fact sheet has even done some of the hard work for you. It has categorized them by ICF model. This is already helping you answer questions. If the question is outlining participation and asking about participation, your answer needs to be a participation-based outcome measure, not an activity-based one or a body structure and function-based one. 
Before we continue, let's take a step back and just quickly review some principles of measurement. We'll start with norm versus criterion referenced outcome measures. When the purpose of the standardized outcome measure is to compare a child to a reference group, such as age-related peers, a norm reference test will be used. This is likely the type of test you would need if you were going to establish eligibility for a child because you would know if they were performing at or below expectations for their age. When a test is used to see how well a child performs on a specified set of knowledge, skills, or abilities, then you would use a criterion test. Criterion tests are also often used to show change in a child's performance over time, comparing them to themselves. There are tests that are both. Only norm reference measures can be used to compare performance to a population or determine difference when compared to same-aged peers through scores referenced on the normal curve. This gives us standard scores, T-scores, Z-scores, and percentile ranks. Something that helped me during my studying is I used examples to kind of shape my mindset for what a norm referenced outcome measure is versus a criterion reference outcome measure that I use in my practice. So for me, I use the Peabody as a norm referenced outcome measure, and I use the school function assessment as a criterion referenced outcome measure. That helped me organize it in my own brain, but you do whatever you need to do to help organize that in your brain. When we focus more on the ICF model, we can break down outcome measures a bit more, but be cautious. It isn't always clear cut and some outcome measures can fit into multiple areas of the ICF model. That being said, it still can help you organize this information in your brain. Thinking about some body structure and function outcome measures that are frequently used, you have to think about muscle strength, maybe using something like dynamometry in a child that is old enough and capable of following directions. Cited literature says at least older than three and a half. You also have your measures of spasticity, which are either the modified Tardu or the modified Ashworth. The selective control assessment of the lower extremity or the scale is another measure we have mentioned. This is specifically for children with CP older than four with cognitive and behavioral capability to cooperate with test instructions. This test assesses selective voluntary motor control in the lower extremities. Another good outcome measure for body structure and function is the Omni Rating of Perceived Exertion, or the Omni RPE. The Omni displays both pictorial descriptors and verbal descriptors distributed along a numerical category response range. It can be used for children 6 to 18 who are ambulatory and have either age-appropriate or mild impairments in social and cognitive skills. Two other measures that we saw a lot during our studying were the spinal alignment and range of motion measurement, or the SAROMM and the Segmental Assessment of Trunk Control, or the SATCO. The SAROMM is a reliable and valid measure, is a reliable and valid method to estimate limitations of range of motion to support clinical decisions about individual prognosis and management for individuals with cerebral palsy. It can be used with less cooperative and young children. Analytical results provide a benchmark for clinical decision-making while managing musculoskeletal difficulties in children with CP. 
The SATCO is a systematic method of assessing discrete levels of trunk control in children with motor disabilities. There are three aspects of trunk control. One, static or steady state control. Two, active or anticipatory control. And three, reactive control, which is maintaining or regaining trunk control following a threat to balance produced by a brisk nudge. So I think the participation measures are probably the hardest for us to remember because a lot of us are probably not using a ton of these. I know I wasn't as familiar with participation outcome measures when I was on my PCS journey. One measure that comes up a lot is the Canadian Occupational Performance Measure, the COPM. So the COPM is a multi-domain, personalized, client-centered instrument designed to identify daily occupations of importance that they want to do, need to do, or are expected to do, but are unable to accomplish. So in the second step of the COPM process, the client or parent is asked to rate the importance of each of the occupations using a 10-point rated scale. So whatever they decided on initially, then they're going to go and rate which one of those is more important. In the third step, they choose up to five of the most important problems that they identified. So this process serves as the basis for identifying your intervention goals. The final step of the COPM process takes place at some interval after treatment or at the completion of intervention. They then again rate and can compare and show progress. The Children's Assessment of Participation and Enjoyment, also known as the CAPE, C-A-P-E, and the Preferences for Activities of Children, the PAC, the P-A-C, are two companion measures for children's participation. Both are self-report measures of children's participation in recreation and leisure activities outside of mandated school activities. Both measures are appropriate for children and youth with and without disabilities between the ages of 6 and 21 years of age. The participation and environment measure, children and youth, so the PEMCY, is a participation measure. It evaluates participation in the home, at school, and in the community, alongside environmental factors within each of these settings. That sounds very ICF model to me. The PEMCY is the first measure of its kind to assess both participation and environmental factors in the same framework. The PEMCY allows parents and service providers to understand more about a child's current level of participation while encouraging problem-solving strategies around changeable elements within each setting to better support further participation. It can be used for children between the ages of 5 and 17 years old with or without disabilities. So those are all multi-domain participation measures. But let's also talk about some quality-of-life measures. One that comes up a lot is the Pediatric Quality of Life Inventory, or the PEDS-QL. It's a brief measure of health-related quality of life in children and young people. It has four subgroups, physical functioning, emotional functioning, social functioning, and school functioning. This measure can be completed by parents as well as children and young people, with versions available for children and young people aged 5 to 7, 8 to 12, and 13 to 18. Parent-rated versions are available for younger children aged 2 to 4, and then also for the 5 to 7, 8 to 12, and 13 to 18 age groups. 
the Pediatric Outcomes Data Collection Instrument, or the PODC. The PODC was developed specifically to assess changes following pediatric orthopedic interventions for a broad range of diagnoses. These diagnoses include ambulatory children with cerebral palsy, having gross motor function classification system levels of one to three, indicating motor function that is minimally to moderately impaired. The PODC items focus on function and quality of life of the child, attributes that may change with surgical intervention. Another subgroup of participation outcome measures outlined in the fact sheet specifically focuses on health status. Some outcome measures associated with health status include the Child Health and Illness Profile Adolescent Edition, so that's the CHIP-E, the Child Health Questionnaire, the CHQ, the Child Health Assessment Questionnaire, the CHAQ, Health Utilities Index Mark III. Something useful to remember with these is that they all have health in the title, which will help cue you into their role in assessment. The Child Health Questionnaire, the CHQ, is a family of generic person-reported outcome measures to assess health-related quality of life for children and adolescents from 5 to 18. The Child Health Assessment Questionnaire seems widely used for children with arthritis. The APTA fact sheet does a great job breaking down activity structure and function for you into nice headers like cardiopulmonary, posture and balance, pain, range of motion, spasticity, endurance and energy expenditure, coordination, posture and structural integrity, and anthropometrics, to name a few. A lot of these are self-explanatory, we think. In cardiopulmonary, you are looking at things like blood pressure, heart rate and respiratory rate, skin color, etc. For range of motion, you are thinking about all of those orthospecial tests for muscle length, like Eli's test, the hamstring length test, the modified over test, popliteal angle, prone extension hip test, spinal alignment and range of motion measure, or the SAROMM that we've mentioned before, straight leg test, and the Thomas test. Make sure you are familiar with those and the muscle they are testing. Let's talk through some of the posture and structural integrity tests for you. You'll want to know the Adams forward bend test for scoliosis screening. A positive test here is observation of an asymmetry where one side is higher than the other. You can measure the asymmetry with a scoliometer. Remember your knee integrity measures like the anterior posterior drawer test, being familiar with the Byton scale of hypermobility and the components of that test. It uses a nine-point scoring system and measures thumb, elbow, knee, pinky finger, and spine. Make sure to remember all of your tests for a lower extremity torsional profile to determine where the lower extremity rotation may be coming from. So we're thinking about, is it metatarsis adductus? Is it tibial torsion? Or is it a femoral antiversion retroversion situation? Moving on to some of the posture and balance measures. The early clinical assessment of balance, or the ECAB, is for children with cerebral palsy and was developed based on selected items for the automatic reaction section of the movement assessment of infants and the pediatric balance scale. The ECAB addresses several dimensions of balance across the developmental sequence. One, head and trunk balance two, protective responses for balance and sitting, 
three, maintaining upright postures and sitting and standing, and four, making appropriate adjustments for voluntary movements and standing. So let's talk about the two tests that combine to make up the ECAB. So the Movement Assessment of Infants, or the MAI, is a tool used to assess motor behavior, muscle tone, primitive reflexes, automatic reactions, and volitional movements. It is designed to detect neurological dysfunction and can be used from birth to one year of age. The test is actually double-dipped on your APTA fact sheet as a reflex test as well. So bonus for you, one last one to learn. The Pediatric Balance Scale, or the PBS, is a modified version of the Berg Balance Scale that is used to assess functional balance skills in school-age children. The scale consists of 14 items that are scored from zero points, the lowest function, to four points, the highest function, with a maximum score of 56 points. The Pediatric Clinical Test of Sensory Interaction for Balance, or the PCTSIB, is for children four to nine years old. This is the pediatric version of the CTSIB, which is the clinical version of the Sensory Organization Test, or the SOT. It is an assessment of static balance. It is designed to systematically assess the effects of visual, vestibular, and proprioceptive systems on static balance and can be used easily in clinical settings. The pediatric version of this test is called the Pediatric Clinical Test of Sensory Interaction for Balance, or the PCTSIB. The PCTSIB reflects the child's ability to combine and use different information to react in different positions in static balance. We want to touch base on some of the coordination measures because a few of these were new to us when we were studying. The fact sheet lists the clinical observation of motor and postural skills, the COMPS, as a screening tool based on six of the clinical observations. It generates a score to help identify a number of subtle motor coordination problems in children 5 to 15 years old. The Florida Apraxia screening test consists of 30 items, which the person is required to gesture after a verbal command. So something like, show me how you salute. A normal cutoff score for that is 15 out of 30 correct. The gross motor performance measure is an observational instrument used to evaluate gross motor performance. So for example, quality of movement in children with cerebral palsy. The instrument's primary purpose is to evaluate change over time in specific qualitative measures or attributes of gross motor behavior. The selective control of the lower extremity is another coordination measure listed in the fact sheet. Normal selective voluntary motor control can be defined as the ability to perform isolated joint movements without using that mass flexor extensor pattern or undesired movements at other joints, such as mirroring. The selective control assessment of the lower extremity is a clinical tool developed to kind of quantify this selective voluntary motor control in patients with cerebral palsy. The patient must be able to follow simple motor commands to complete this. We know we have not covered every single outcome measure on the form, but we hope it's helpful to review some of them. We are going to end with some of the activity-focused measures. There are a lot of them, so we cannot get to all of them. Also remember, some of these outcome measures fit into different categories. Make sure not to be too hyper-focused on fitting everything into neat and organized boxes. 
that won't really work. Focus on understanding the concept the outcome measure is trying to test and work from there. The APTA fact sheet lists the multi-domain activity-based outcome measures. So the activity scale for kids, the ASK, is a self-reported measure of childhood physical disability for children 5 to 15. The Battelle Developmental Inventory 2nd Edition is an early childhood instrument based on the concepts of developmental milestones. It is often used to meet the federal reporting requirements across Part C, Part B, and Head Start programs to determine eligibility. Bailey Scales of Infant Development 3 is used for the age group starting from 16 days to 42 months. Again, it's used to determine a child's developmental functioning, and it offers plan management for kids with developmental delays. Both the Bailey and the Battelle are norm-referenced. Another two-for-one is the Canadian Occupational Performance Measure. We discussed it earlier as a participation measure, but it, it can be used as an activity measure as well because it's dependent on the goals and needs of the family. The Functional Independence Measure for Children, so that's the WEFIM, is an instrument that examines basic daily living and functional skills in children from birth to seven. The WEFIM is modeled after the regular FIM, the Functional Independence Measure for Adults, and it includes 18 items in the following subscales. It has self-care, sphincter control, transfers, locomotion, communication, and social cognition. This is actually what we used on our pediatric inpatient rehab unit when I was working at Oakland Children's Hospital. The Harris Infant Neuromotor Test, the HINT, is a screening tool designed to identify neuromotor or cognitive behavioral concerns in infants who are healthy or at high risk between the ages of 3 and 12 months. The Hawaii Early Learning Profile, so the HELP, is a comprehensive, ongoing, family-centered, curriculum-based assessment process for infants and toddlers ages 0 to 3 and their families. It is used when creating goals and tailoring developmentally appropriate interventions to meet the specific needs of children. It identifies needs and monitors growth and development and establishes a plan to address assessment results. Play-based activities and intervention strategies are utilized to encourage, support, and facilitate a wide variety of developmental skills and address specific needs. It contains six specific skill categories that are observed through play, so things like cognitive, communication, gross motor, fine motor, social, emotional, and ADLs. The Miller Assessment of Preschoolers is used to evaluate children of preschool age for mild to moderate developmental delays in the areas of sensory and motor abilities, cognitive abilities, and combined abilities. The Miller Function and Participation Scales is also called the MFUN, and it assesses a child's functional performance related to school participation for ages 2 to 7 years, 11 months. The Movement Assessment Battery for Children, so the Movement ABC, is for kids 3 to 16 years, 11 months, and it is norm-referenced and helps identify children who have motor function impairment. The Pediatric Evaluation of Disability Inventory, so the PD, assesses key functional capabilities of performance in children ages 6 months to 7 years. It is also useful for older children whose functional abilities are lower than those of a seven-year-old without disabilities. 
The Pediatric Evaluation of Disability Inventory Computer Adaptive Tests is one of my favorites. It's called the PDCAT, and it is a computer adaptive caregiver report which measures daily activities, mobility, social, cognitive, and responsibility. It is designed for children and youth with a variety of physical and or behavioral conditions, and I feel like it's really awesome and helpful when it comes to goal setting. The school function assessment is a favorite for the educational setting. It is a criterion referenced assessment like Sarah had said earlier. It is used to measure a student's performance of non-academic functional tasks that support participation in grades K through six. It measures three areas of school function. So it measures level of participation in six major activity settings. It measures task supports, such as assistance and adaptations provided to the student. And it measures activity performance. Because the instrument is criterion reference, it provides specific information about a student's strengths and limitations, which is useful in program planning. The Violent Adaptive Behavior Scale 2nd Edition is designed to measure adaptive behavior in individuals from birth to age 90. The Violent 2 contains five main domains, communication, daily living skills, socialization, motor skills, and maladaptive behavior. The domain score yields an adaptive behavior composite. It is a standardized norm reference assessment tool, but it kind of seems more geared towards psychology and social work, in my opinion. And I can attest to that with Sheila is that we use the Vinland uh, mostly during our psychology and social evaluations at school, but it's still definitely a good test to know. Wow, that was a lot of information. We can appreciate why this aspect of the PCS is so overwhelming. What can you do from here? Well, we think a helpful idea would be to group these tests by age range. Which ones are better for infants versus early intervention versus school-aged kids? That can help organize all of the information in your brain. Another way to look at it, which ones cover multiple domains and which ones are more motor-specific? We just went through the multi-domain section, but the fact sheet also has gross motor and fine motor-specific tests. The gross motor-specific tests are the ones we think you will all feel more familiar with. Tests like the Alberta Infant Motor Scales or the AIMS, the BOT2, the GMFM, the Motor Function Measure, the Peabody, the Test of Gross Motor Development, Second Edition, and the Test of Infant Motor Performance or the TIMP. These should feel familiar and we should be able to quickly think about when we would use these. For example, the GMFM for cerebral palsy or the GMFM 88 specifically for Down syndrome. Sarah, that brings up another organizational process for outcome measures. Maybe we could group by diagnosis. Which diagnoses have specific outcome measures that are valid for that diagnosis? Once you start grouping these together in multiple ways, they're going to start to make their way into your memory storage. Flashcards may also be useful here. We don't feel like you need to have every last detail memorized with each of these, but you should feel familiar with the age ranges, the purpose, and the interpretation of these outcome measures. I've always thought you could make a super cool spreadsheet or graph of outcome measures through the age ranges. Maybe somebody wants to create something like that after your studying is all done. I don't think I have the computer skills to pull that off, but happy to collaborate on that project if someone is motivated. Okay, this episode is getting long. 
we know we haven't covered all of the outcome measures. We're not sure if we even hit 50% of them, but it's a start. Keep plugging away at these and reviewing frequently and you will get there. And if you don't, you're still going to be fine. There is so much involved in the preparation for this test. And the best thing you can do for yourself is to remember that you won't know it all, but you are armed with a lot of knowledge and critical thinking skills, and you are going to be able to break down the questions and weed out some answers and make some good choices. We can't wait to celebrate with you all in June. Remember, it's most likely going to be late June, like the last day of June. The hardest wait, but it will be worth it. Thank you so much for bringing us along in your journey to become a board-certified specialist. Or if you're a pediatric PT using this for education, we're so happy to be part of your journey too. We started this podcast because we are so passionate about moving the pediatric PT profession forward. And selfishly, we worked really hard learning all of the material to become board-certified specialists, and Sarah and I were determined to maintain that knowledge to improve our own practices. If you are listening and are thinking about taking the PCS, here is your sign. It was the best decision we made, and we loved the learning process, even though it was stressful at times. And we will be back next year for more content. Remember, we have a whole new Campbell text to cover. We have two episodes left for you this season. We're going to team up with Helen and Jessica from PCS Advantage to do a quick test-taking episode and a review episode to send you off into the test with confidence. Happy studying! Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time. And remember, you totally got it.